I invite you to open your Bible, one of the Pew Bibles, to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. As we continue the series through Romans now, we are in chapter 12, and we will begin the reading this morning at verse 9. Let us ask the Lord, whose Spirit breathed out this word and preserved it for us in Holy Scripture, to breathe upon us afresh, to open our minds and to open our hearts to his word of truth. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that in your great love and mercy, you speak to us your truth in your word of scripture so that we might have our minds renewed by your word and our lives transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, now that you will open our minds and open our hearts and grant us spiritual insight and illumination so that your word might take hold of us and do its work in us. To the glory of your name, amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16, let us hear the word of God. It is written, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. To his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Well, now here in this passage, we have these ethical instructions for the Christian life given to us in a rather uh, rapid-fire fashion. Do this, do that, do this, do that. Um, And if we're not understanding this passage in the context of Romans 12, we, we might think that a passage like this is simply giving us advice on how to be nice. You know, the sort of uh, little sayings, the little tidbits that we might uh, needlepoint and put on a pillow or have uh, screened on our coffee mugs. You know, nice little thoughts of the day, reminder, advice on how to be nice. But that's not what this passage is about. We've got to remember some very important points here in the context. First of all, uh, this is all about living not conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds in response to the mercies of God. You have to place this passage with its ethical instructions in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is life in response to the mercies of God poured out upon us in the life, death, 
and resurrection of Jesus and his sure and certain coming again. This is life in response. This is the life of the renewed mind and the transformed life. Far deeper than mere advice on how to be nice. Secondly, very, very important for us to note that this is addressed to the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to make this point. I try to help you make this shift. In the, the Pew Bible, I don't know if you looked at the Pew Bible, and I have it, or if you have the large print, up at the top of this passage, uh, the editors of this English Standard Version, which I think is a very good, it's a very good translation, but nevertheless, you have an editorial insertion, and it, it, it marks it off, it calls it the marks of the true Christian. I don't know if you see that, but marks of the true Christian. I want to suggest to you that that's very misleading in this sense. <laughs> this passage isn't addressed to us as individu- individualistic individuals. It's addressed to us as the church of Jesus Christ, a communion, a fellowship of saints. You see, there's a difference between reading the Bible simply as an individualistic, isolated individual, and then you're going to take take it and and, and simply adopt it as a uh, maybe a moral code or philosophy of life disconnected from the body of Christ. Remember the passage that just came before it from last week. We, though, though many, though we are many members, we are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This is all about the corporate life of the church is the point I'm trying to make. This isn't simply the, the mark of the true Christian. This is the mark of the Christian community. This is how Christians are to live together. This is how Christians are to relate to one another. So this passage would be more like, for example, a coach addressing a team, if you will, or a military officer commanding his troops, if you will, um, or, a, or a parent addressing his or her children. Right? As a family? Um, Or shall we say a shepherd addressing his sheep? So we've got to get the corporate nature of this passage. This is the context of the corporate body of Christ getting us all on the same page, all together at the same time. It's addressed to us in that way. Of Of course it has implications for us as individuals because... You know, we are individuals, as Paul said. We are individual members, one of another. So you've got to keep that balance. Now, the other thing to note is that uh, this passage, um, though it, these, these verses, it, it may seem quite obvious to us. I mean, the, the sort of verses, let love be genuine. Uh, love one another with brotherly affection. Well, you know what? Uh, if we've been in the Christian community, as I think most of us have in one way or another, even if only uh, 
tangentially associated. Uh, I mean, due to the fact that we are the inheritors of 2,000 years of Christianity, due to the fact that we are the heirs of 300 years of Christian heritage and influence in this nation, these kinds of verses sound very familiar to us, almost to be taken for granted. I mean, they sound almost cliche, you know? And that's where you get back into the saying of, oh, yes, it's, this, this is a nice idea. This is, this is nice advice about how to be nice. Well, no, it's not either. If you put yourself in the first century, if you were a first century pagan, that is Gentile convert to Christianity, if you had grown up in a world outside the covenant community of Old Testament Israel, and you didn't grow up with the law of God, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. If you didn't grow up memorizing Micah, which says, walk humbly with your God, you wouldn't know any of this. This This is all new material. If you're a first century Gentile convert to Christianity, So what Paul is doing here in this passage is teaching Christians how to live as Christians, particularly in relationship to one another. So let's don't take this for granted. Let's don't, you know, needlepoint it and put it on our pillow. You know, this is the Word of God and he's laying the foundation. This is like teaching a child how to walk and talk. But it's all in the context of the community. So, here we go. In response to the mercies of God, not being conformed to this world, this present evil age, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds, let love be genuine. Another translation reads more literally, let love be Without hypocrisy. That's the literal Greek in the New Testament. Now, we commonly think of hypocrisy as behavior which contradicts our professed values. Saying one thing but actually doing another. You know, telling our children about the dangers of smoking while we continue to smoke three packs a day. Now, that's the the typical kind of commonplace definition of hypocrisy, but but hypocrisy at its root is much more insidious than that. The word hypocrite, it's a Greek word, comes from the world of the theater. It comes from the world of Greek, classical Greek drama, and the actor, the hypocrite, Yes, the actor, the hypocrite, wore a mask rather than makeup to identify his or her character. So the hypocrite, technically speaking, literally speaking, is a mask-wearing actor who pretends to be someone He or she actually is not. Bless your heart. (laughs) 
The Word of God says to us in response to the genuine, authentic love of God, the genuine, authentic love of God proven to us through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let your love for one another be genuine without hypocrisy. Let there be no mask wearing in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, you see how this works itself out corporately? This is what I'm saying. This is what it says to to us all. As As you relate to one another in the body of Christ, as you live your life together in the church of Jesus Christ, don't wear a mask. Let there be no pretended love in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, again, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, this is redundant. I know it's redundant. It's the risk of, why is he telling me this again? You see, you read a verse like this, let love be genuine, let love be without hi- hypocrisy. This is not just sort of a kind of a nice idea, a general uh, philosophy of life that we give cred- credence to. No, 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 it's not. It is a command. It's an imperative command specifically, particularly, intentionally addressed to the church of Jesus Christ as the church of Jesus Christ. Genuine love without hypocrisy is to characterize our life together as Christ's people. To to permeate the environment of our fellowship. To be the mark of our relationships with one another. Now think about how deeply this phrase, let love be genuine, is rooted in the person of Jesus himself. The the gospel is, is right at the heart of this verse because on the night of the Last Supper, the night on which he was betrayed, the night on which he was arrested, our Lord took a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet. An act of humble servanthood. But there's nothing, there was nothing sentimental about it. In fact, it was offensive. It offended the sensibilities of Peter who protested because it seemed so inappropriate, so deeply humiliating a thing for Jesus to do. Peter thought it was wrong for Jesus to humble himself and serve them in this most degrading way. But Peter did not understand that Jesus was showing them, demonstrating to them, the disciples, how they were to humble themselves and serve one another in love. The foot washing on the night of the Last Supper was symbolic and indicative and illustrative of the way in which the members of Christ's church are to love one another without hypocrisy. A love which is willing to prove itself in acts of humble, self-sacrificial service. And so it was that on that same night, Jesus said to the remaining 11 disciples after Judas had gone out, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, this kind of love, this kind of love without hypocrisy. You hear that? 
The defining, distinctive mark of the true church of Jesus Christ is the love, the genuine love, the love without hypocrisy which Christ's disciples are to have for one another. And again, there's no sentimentality here. This is absolutely necessary for our witness in the world. The quality of our life together will determine the effectiveness of our evangelism. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And years later, the Apostle John wrote these words, echoing the teaching of Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and following. By this, we know love. We know it. We know what it is. We know genuine love. We know it. We've experienced By this we know, love, that He, Jesus, laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for the fellowship, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us... Not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. John is saying exactly the same thing. Jesus is saying the same thing Paul is saying. Let love be genuine. No mask wearing. Love in deed and truth. But note then immediately that love without hypocrisy Genuine love is also a love which does not tolerate evil. Note that in this very same verse, as it were, in the very same breath, Paul says, abhor, hate what is evil. That's addressed to the body of Christ. It's addressed to the church. Of course, it applies to us as individuals. But again, I want you to get the corporate nature of this. The passionate love for the body of Christ, the genuine love for the body of Christ, the church requires a passion and a commitment to protect the body of Christ, the church, from all that is evil. So to love one another with genuine love does not mean, cannot mean, that we are therefore never to make any moral judgments. In fact, the opposite is true. Because we love one another with genuine love, because we are not going to put on a mask and pretend that everything is okay, everything's just wonderful, If in fact it is not, we're not going to do that. We're called to speak the truth in love. And therefore, we as a body must not allow sin, sinful attitudes, sinful behaviors, false teachings, corrupted lifestyles to take hold in the church, the body of Christ. This is just another way of saying that we as the body of Christ, are not to be conformed to this world, a world in which sin 
looks normal. And so in our corporate life together, as as well as, yes, of course, as well as in our personal individual lives, we must hold fast to what is good, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. We must become inseparably glued, that's what the word means, to cleave, to hold fast, to be glued, to be glued to that which is good, that which is in accordance with God's revealed will, reflecting the goodness of his character. That requires moral judgments. Otherwise, good becomes evil and evil becomes good and welcome to America in the 21st century. Not so in the body of Christ. Our life together is the body of Christ, as members one of another, rooted in the truth of God's word. You see, now ought to shape our character and the character of our children and grandchildren. The quality of our life together. Loving one another without hypocrisy, abhorring what is evil, holding fast to what is good, ought to mold our consciences and listen, listen, sharpen our spiritual sensibilities so that we recognize evil for what it is. And children can do this if we train them, if we train them right. Children have very fine-tuned spiritual sensitivities and spiritual sensibilities. And they can be, those can be sharpened and they can recognize evil, though they might not be able to articulate it. And we ought to be able to recognize evil, whether it's an idea, whether it's a behavior, whether it's a popular activity, social trend. Call it what it is, reject it for what it is, Something that is antithetical to the goodness, holiness, righteousness, life-promoting love of God. And we are commanded to hate it with a holy hatred, especially when we see it in ourselves, so that we might repent of it and hold fast to that which is good. Now, Paul then returns to the theme of love. Notice how he places the abhorrence of evil in between two commands of love. Love one another now with brotherly affection. And by the way, I mean, it's important to note, we are called to love one another. We hate that which is evil. You see, the the verb hate or to abhor isn't uh, directed against a person, but rather an idea, an activity, a false teaching. So we don't personalize that hatred. It's it's important to note that as Paul lays out the word of God for us. Love one another now with brotherly affection. Now there's more to this verse than we might at first think. So I'm going to repeat myself. Here we go again. We might take this for granted. You know, of course we're to love one another with brotherly affection. You know, love, brother, love, you know, all that stuff. What's the point? Well, the point is that with this choice of words, Paul is telling us that as the church of Jesus Christ, we are to live as members of a loving family. This is not just sentimental language, brotherly love. No, 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 no. This is deep theological language. 
There are two different Greek words, Greek root words used in this verse, which underlie the words translated love one another and brotherly affection. One is the word which is associated with the love of absolute devotion and tender attachment which a parent has for his or her child. It is the word which connotes familial, that is, family love. You know, the kind of love by which a parent says, oh, when that happened to my child, I thought it would kill me. Right? That kind of love. That kind of tender devotion. Now, the other word is more familiar to us. It is the Greek word, Philadelphia, which means literally brotherly love. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is the city of brotherly love. You can ask people from Boston how they feel about that right now, but, you know. Now, again, but you see, the point is, it is a term of familial Family love. So Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, with the authoritative commissioning of the Lord Jesus Christ, uses this language of family bonds, family identity, family love, family devotion, family loyalty to characterize the kind of love which is to be experienced in the church of Jesus Christ. Now you think about it. If you're a first century pagan convert, you're leaving behind a harsh and cruel and cold world in which children were left on the streets to die and brought into the family of God's love with Jesus Christ as your brother, whereby you become immediately brother or sister to other brothers and sisters and you have this kind of bond and we are commanded to have this kind of love for one another and and likewise the apostle Peter commanded his congregations to love one another earnestly from a pure heart with a sincere brotherly love. Peter echoes this. So this kind of love obviously includes personal devotion to one another, personal affection for one another. How do we cultivate that in a congregation now of more than 200 members and growing? How does that become a reality? How do we make this kind of family love a real characteristic of our culture as a church family? We're trying to be intentional about that. Small groups, neighborhood flocks, Different Bible studies, different opportunities for that in which members get to know one another and grow in their relationships, not just their knowledge, which is important, but it doesn't stop there. You know, the vertical, the cross has a vertical and a horizontal beam. So do we, what about missions, working together, right? You want to have a, a bonding experience of brotherly, familial love? Sign up for the Guatemala mission trip. Or the Young Lives Mission, which Sarah and Caroline just told us about. Get on the team to serve at Desired Street Shelter once a month. When we work together, when we have fun together, when we worship together, when we pray together, when we share life together, isn't that what families do after all? Then this family love will grow more and more 
among us. Now, one, one point of clarification here. Again, this is, this is addressed to us as the church, the body of Christ. We're commanded, but at the same time, we are commanded, each one of us, each one of us as a follower of Jesus is commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. So in obedience to God's law, we are always to love our neighbor in the sense of doing good for our neighbor, doing right by our neighbor, whoever that may be, namely everybody. But we might not even know that person. If we don't know the person, there's not going to be this same kind of personal affection and, and attachment. But, you know, whether it's helping someone across the street, offering your seat to someone else in a crowded airport, driving in a courteous way rather than an aggressive way, showing kindness and courtesy and politeness and patience to the person with a hundred items in the grocery basket at the express checkout line. (laughs) These are ways that we love our neighbor as ourselves in general. Well, actually, it's the second tablet of the Ten Commandments. The second tablet of the Ten Commandments applied positively and applied spiritually and internally. That's how we love our neighbor as ourselves. But you see, you can love your neighbor as yourself without even knowing your neighbor. But in the church of Jesus Christ, here's the point. In the church of Jesus Christ, in the body of Christ, the circle is tighter, the love is warmer, the bonds of affection are stronger, and the relationships are more deeply personal. We are family. So again, if you put it in its first century context, you see that Paul was giving a new vision of family life to the Christians in Rome. Jews and Gentiles together, Jews and Gentiles who had never had anything to do with each other, who had socially, politically, religiously had excluded each other now in Christ we're brought together as members of the same family, as he says in Ephesians, members of the household of God, the family of God with Jesus, our brother, children of the Father. And that means that we must never, ever let anything, anything of this world divide us from one another. In this context, speaking again to us today, the word says outdo one another in showing honor. Another translation says give preference to one another. In other words, show deference to one another. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, it's a culture of courtesy, kindness, humility, Thoughtfulness. Those are strange virtues in our American society today. They are not acquired by breathing the air and drinking the water of this fallen world. We have to be intentional and deliberate about actually practicing them, diligent in teaching them to our children, 
It is part and parcel of Christian discipleship, not merely for the sake of good manners per se, but for the sake of glorifying God in the way that we treat one another. It's for the sake of glorifying God in the way that we treat one another. We all want to be esteemed, respected, affirmed, accepted, encouraged, built up, welcomed, cared for. Don't you? Don't we all want to live in a family in which we are built up and not torn down? The church is called to be that kind of family for us all. Brothers and sisters, we honor Jesus Christ when we honor one another. Can you see how this word of God, this little passage, instead of being crocheted and needle pointed and put on a pillow, if it's if it's lived out in our lives, do you see how countercultural our life together as a congregation will be? And it is a witness to the watching world. So let it be true of us by His grace, through His mercy, by the power of His Spirit, and to the glory of His name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love which has been poured out upon us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and you lavish this love upon us. Help us, therefore, to love one another with a genuine love, to honor one another above ourselves, to have the courage by your grace to abhor that which is evil and to hold fast to that which is good, that your name might always be glorified in our midst. Grant us this, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one true church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world, as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Praise and glory to God.